Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at legalshield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Hey, Ken, did you know that gold is the only currency that's held its value since the dawn of money? Well, I did. Thanks to our friends at Legacy Precious Metals, the most trusted name in gold investing. Investing in gold protects you against inflation and gives you a hedge against stock market volatility. Don't leave your retirement to chance. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or download your free investor's guide now at buylegacygold.com. That's buylegacygold.com. We will have an update on that train derailment yesterday in Missouri. An Amtrak train derailed. The death toll is now up to four people. Many other injuries were suffered by passengers on that train And the update has to do with the whole safety with this crossing. Uh, It was a dump truck that the train hit. And there are apparently some people who live locally that say that's been an issue for years called an uncontrolled crossing, meaning there's pretty much nothing there to indicate that there might be a train coming in terms of crossing gates, lights, any of that stuff. We'll hear from uh, a local resident coming up in a few minutes. Also, your last chance to win today. The keyword is coming up at about 5.20 in our in, uh, inflation vacation contest. You can possibly win $1,000. You just have to enter it on the website, the keyword, and then uh, find out if you're a winner. All right. Well, the California justice system never ceases to amaze, surprise, and infuriate. And now we have this story. A couple of drug traffickers by the name of Jose Sandeas and Benito Madrigal from the state of Washington, were detained in Tulare County with, get this, 150,000 fentanyl pills. Now, everybody up and down the state is raging about the drug crisis. Young people are dying from fentanyl. Sometimes it's being put in drugs they didn't know it was in there. It can be very deadly in even small amounts, but it's cheaper provides a high that people are enjoying. So it's become the big drug in America these days. A lot of these pills are 
made in countries like China, and they are uh, smuggled into this country. That's probably what these two guys were up to. But what we want to talk about is the fact that they were released on their own recognizance pretty quickly after their arrest. We're going to talk to the Tulare County Sheriff, Mike Boudreaux. Welcome to the show. I sure appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, Sheriff, in your, in your own words, tell us what happened here with, these, with the arrest of these two men. Well, I was listening to you talk, and you were spot on. You know, we, we uh, deal with um, drug traffickers up and down the Central Valley, the night, Highway 99 and the Interstate 5. They go right through the center of California. So we're a, a corridor for drug trafficking from the Mexican border all the way up through the states and then across the country. And so we have highway interdiction teams. We have drug teams just as anyone else in the state. In this particular case, we were able to put a dope sniffing dog uh, that hit on the vehicle. Uh, and we located 150,000 fentanyl pills. Now, even as of this morning, we learned in searching the car further, we loaded, located two kilos of cocaine as well. Uh, that's fresh off the press. You're the first to hear it. Um, but we, uh, you know, with 150 thousand fentanyl pills you know this is an epidemic all across the country um, as you indicated the drugs come in from china they move into mexico they produce and stamp those uh, fentanyl uh, pills and then bring them across the border here's part of the problem so if you're taking fentanyl and you have either drug addictive behaviors or and or you're partying for the weekend what have you and you're used to say a five milligram milligram pill what's happening is that these pills are being stamped with no regulatory control. So if you're used to five milligrams, but yet no one's controlling that stamping of that pill, you could easily end up with 40 milligrams in your system. And so what you're used to, your system's now overloaded and you die. And it's happening all across the country with that aspect. So talk about, so it was your sheriff's deputies that detained these guys. How is it they got released just days after they were arrested? Do you, do you, have you been able to track this down? We have. We know exactly how it happened, and it goes a little deeper before I get to the explanation of what's happening. Look, in my opinion, California has a failed system of justice. It needs reform. This soft-on-crime approach is not helping anyone. I'm the biggest believer in rehabilitation as anyone else, but demanding that these drug users and dealers are more of a social issue than they are a criminal aspect is really damaging the quality of life for Californians. And so our legislator in Sacramento, our governor, I'm not a big believer in this soft on crime. We need to harden up our approach when it comes to our drug dealers, when it comes to our drug traffickers. In this case, all across the state of California, probation goes in before anyone even goes to court, and they do what's called a risk assessment. They take a look, are they likely to reoffend? Are they going to be violent in nature, committing violent crimes against others? Are we able to confirm that where they live and will they return to court? And so if that happens, then they release them from jail before they ever see a judge um, to come back on a later day. When you I'm say they, who are you talking about? They We're, this are probation department probation. that happens all up and down the state of California. Oh, Where? I believe it. Yeah. Every sheriff is faced with this. And I'm going to tell you, I sit on the California State Sheriff's Association Executive Board. I'm the vice president. I meet with all 58 sheriffs in the state of California. There's 58 counties, 58 elected sheriffs, and we meet on a regular basis. They're frustrated. What we're seeing with this soft-on-crime approach 
is a quality of life for our communities that's endangering our children, endangering those who really do need help that have drug addictive behaviors. And the, the approach is making it harder and harder for law enforcement to deal with these type of offenses. And so when the probation department takes that assessment to a judge, if they see that it's low risk, then they will release them on their own recognizance. That's what's happened here. The problem that I have is no one contacted the sheriff's office. No one got our opinion on this drug trafficker. Um, we know that they're a drug trafficking organization connected to a cartel. And had they made a phone call, had they talked to us, had they read the probable cause declaration, which is attached to every booking sheet, they would have seen very quickly that this is not someone that should have been released. Now, here's the unfortunate side. You're hearing of this story because it's a shocking story to the census. We are seeing this in law enforcement up and down the state every single day. Every single day with different cases, misdemeanor cases. We just two weeks ago had human traffickers that were released because they felt through the risk assessment that they were unlikely to offend again before trial. This is a system that's failed and it's failing us and it's failing Californians. But these two were held in your sheriff's jail? We booked them on a Friday night. They, we made this arrest at about 7 o'clock. I think they were booked sometime before 10 o'clock. They were assessed by the probation department and released by the judge at 3 o'clock the next morning or the next afternoon on a Saturday. They were in jail less than 18 hours. Dude. Never have gone before a judge. And the probation department never interviewed them personally. They went on the computer system to look at the booking record. Wow. I mean, 150,000 fentanyl pills, that's got to be a serious case, is it not? It's a federal case. It's a serious federal case. The feds take it very serious. We take it very serious. This is a high-impact drug trafficking group. This is 150,000 pills in the tune of about three-quarters of a million dollars, averaging about $5 a pill, give or take. And so in this particular case, what we like to say is even though these two guys are released and we probably will never see them again unless we get lucky on an arrest warrant of some type, at least these 150,000 pills never hit our streets. On average, one out of every six uh, pills uh, contains a deadly dose. Um, who knows how many lives we saved in, in, in seizing this evidence? Well, how does this work? Because this is a federal crime. Shouldn't this have been turned right over to the federal authorities once the arrests were made for fentanyl? Case never made it there. It was never. 18 hours later. We but, we don't but, even have the we don't even have the ink dry on the paperwork um, to submit to our. But local the probation attorney. people are county, right? They should have been told this is not your jurisdiction. This is now a federal case. Stay out of it. No. Well, no, not necessarily because the the feds have to agree to file the case, right? And yeah. our local district attorney has to agree to turn the case over to the feds and or file it here locally as a state case. Um, this is happening up and down the state of California. You can call any sheriff in the state and they're going to tell you the same, that these assessments are done and people were released on a daily basis that should not be released. So we're, yeah, like you said, we're not likely to see these guys again, are we? Not likely. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Did they pay yeah. bail or something? Or No, they didn't pay bail. They were released by the judge. <laughs> wow. This case, All right. It's shocking to the senses. I'm with you, and I'm frustrated as a law enforcement leader. I am responsible for public safety. We had a good case here. We had a good case where we could prosecute, potentially dismantle a drug trafficking organization, potentially dismantle a cartel, and or gain intelligence in regards to how this is taking place up and down the state. These guys were heading to Washington, 
but we don't know how many places they were going to stop along the way. Arguably, at least 150,000 times, but but they're going to, uh, you know, we're going to be working with our federal partners. We're hoping that we can catch these guys again, and and hopes are high, but the likelihood is 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 not very high. Well, without any consequences, they are probably going to be driving through your county again. Well, and the, you know, the message to drug dealers and drug trafficking organizations and cartels is is hey, look. The risk is very much worth the reward because the risk is so low. You know, we are we are experiencing a very soft on crime government in California, and everyone recognizes it. And it's just not going to work very much longer. All right. Sheriff Boudreaux, thanks for talking to me. I sure appreciate it. Thank you for the time and telling the story. All right. That's uh, Tulare County Sheriff Mike Boudreaux. Again, the story is hard to believe. We learned it from Fox News and, of course, Bill Malusian, their excellent reporter, that two guys with 150,000 fentanyl pills were caught in that county and they were out on their own recognizance within hours, thanks to the probation system, which did an assessment and decided, what's the risk here? But not even bail, their own recognizance. You'll never see them again unless they get caught again. All right, coming up next on the John and Ken Show, your chance at $1,000 with the last keyword of the day. And we'll update you on the derailment of the Amtrak train in Missouri. John and Ken Show on KFI AM 640. Well, yesterday, the big story was the derailment of the Amtrak train in Missouri, a rural part of Missouri called Menden, which is outside of Kansas City. This was a train that actually started in L.A., was on its way to Chicago, Uh, They added another person to the death toll. Four people died. It was a dump truck that was on the tracks that the train hit. A lot of the cars fell on their side. And, of course, there was chaos and a lot of uh, people really concerned. Uh, They're still doing the cleanup there. Uh, Two, three people inside the train died and then a man, I think, driving the dump truck. The update today is from a local farmer by the name of Mike Spencer. He's a farmer in Menden, Missouri, and he says, here's the audio, it's all on Amtrak. I was under the the, uh, impression that uh, this was going to be uh, fixed starting in July of last year. Uh, They had promised me that in July 1st was their fiscal year, start of their fiscal year. They were gonna get started on the project. They were gonna fix three of these crossings. Uh, one here, and then we've got two more on down through here about uh, probably within the next two miles. Um, in uh, November, nothing was done. I contacted them. They said, uh, don't don't put any pressure on them. They're working on it. In January, I contacted them again, and they said that it would have been tabled, and as to their knowledge, that uh, there would be nothing done in the foreseeable future. I asked them if they could cut the brush back because I was very concerned come spring when the trees started leaving out that uh, nobody would be able to see the trains coming down the track. And anyway, um, nothing, nothing, never did get a response. So now here we are today facing this tragedy that has taken several lives. And uh, I I never in my wildest dreams thought it might be a passenger train that would be involved in this. Um, And uh, it's just just a sad day. And I I would have done anything in my power to even fix it myself if that's what it, if that's what, you know, would have been possible. They knew it was unsafe. They, they, They had determined that that was 
that was pretty much a no-brainer. They, um, uh, whatever reason, I don't know if they just didn't want to spend the money. Uh, I, I can't answer for that. Let me ask you this. Did you fear something like this? I mean, or did Oh, you... I, I predicted this was going to happen. I was certain that this was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. I'd already talked to uh, several of the neighbors around here. That's the reason I'd posted it on Facebook. I was very concerned that somebody that was not familiar would come driving down through here. And, uh, you know, there's there's uh, duck hunters that hunt here that are that are not real familiar with these roads and these crossings that are from the city. Uh, I was concerned about them. I was concerned about these truck drivers. And I am highly concerned about these truck drivers that were hauling rock up here to our levee to do some levee repair. This is on the railroad shoulders. This is on the railroad shoulders, absolutely. And they, they've known this is a problem. You know, they, this is, <laughs> there, there's been complaints here by several people. And I mean, I've pretty much instigated the, the uh, getting this thing fixed. And uh, I, I just feel like my hands have been tied. I mean, you know, it's like they, they were concerned but not concerned enough to do anything. I think it could have totally been avoided. I know it could have been avoided. There's no reason for this to have. I mean, my heart goes out to the families that, you know, are involved here, you know, whether you know, they got loved ones injured or dead or whatever. It's just, it's just a tragedy and it don't feel like it should have happened. That's Mike Spencer. He's a farmer in Menden, Missouri, soybeans and such. Uh, he's been very involved in this. And I should say it's not on Amtrak. The, the actual owner of the track is BNSF Railway. Uh, they actually own the track. That's who he's blaming for this because he said for the past three years, they've been talking to him about this, that that crossing is very dangerous, that people are told you have to stop and look both ways because it's uncontrolled, meaning there's no gates, there's no electronic sounds, nothing. It just looks like any other intersection. As you heard him say, somebody who comes along here and is unfamiliar with these crossings won't think much of it. He thinks the train, they usually go between 40 and 50 miles an hour through these crossings. But this poor man in the uh, dump truck probably just wasn't aware. You heard him talk about how they need to cut the brush back. He may not have been able to see the train. I don't know that the train blows its horn when it's passing through crossings to try to alert anybody, particularly through this very rural area of Missouri. This is probably true in a lot of parts of the country. <clears throat> Nearly half of Missouri's 3,800 public highway railroad crossings are not equipped with any safety features. So you know how it is that people that want a stoplight or a stop sign in a neighborhood sometimes have to wait till somebody dies before they get it and they get the attention the story deserves. That's probably what's going to happen here. They're probably going to do more in uh, this part of Missouri to install something safer at these railway crossings so that people who are driving through have a better idea if there's a train coming because... Um, to most of us who live in more urban places, you know, there's a lot of noises and sounds that come anytime a train is, is passing through, but it's not the case in a lot of uh, urban America. All right, we got more coming up on the John and Ken show. If I could turn back time. All right. If I could find a way. Shares in the room. We love it. How long can we play this song, Eric, though? We can't play too much of it? Or? No, not too much. 
what, what, what do they tell you? 20 seconds? What is the rule? Yeah, it's like 20 or 30 seconds. It's uh, the podcast. One of my favorites. Because I like to turn back time. Belt John and Ken show. Ken. I know, you got this thing about me singing, which makes me this. feel weirdly uncomfortable. Why? I don't know, because you get all excited when I just sing two notes, and I don't really understand. I don't have a good voice. I just... I think it's fine. Back and dead, back and yes. <laughs> Woo! Half-breed, that's all I ever heard. See, because we can't play the music for very long because they want their money. Mm. I could just do a, do a medley of her greatest hits. Mm. Why are we playing share music? Well, over the weekend, she took some pot shots at Governor Dippity Doo. What do you know? You know, Cher was on the John and Ken show. Did you know this, Deborah Mark? She called into the John and Ken show. I didn't know that. She did. We didn't believe it was her, but it turned out it was her. She sometimes dabbles in hot political issues, and I don't remember. This is the problem I'm having. What she called in about, but we thought it was an impersonator, but it was her. I, I forget how we verified that even. I think it may have had something to do with illegal immigration, but I don't remember. It was whatever the hot issue was back in the 1990s. So she tweeted out over the weekend the following. Governor Newsom, I think you skate by on your quasi good looks. It is not enough with two red exclamation points. I would vote for you before any Republican, and it's an emoji of uh, some kind of face that looks like it's wincing, but ID, I'd chew nails before ID, I'd vote for a Republican. Gov, get your, and it's another emoji face, it's red looking angry, get your act together. Gov Newsom, meet one of your constituents. And what she included in the tweet was photos of uh, people lying down, sleeping on the sidewalk. Looks like two different guys. I don't know what neighborhood this is. I don't even know where she lives now. But I guess the point is she doesn't think that Newsom's taking care of these transients who have camped out on the sidewalk. So somebody named Janelle responded. And this is what Janelle wrote. He has done more for the homeless in this state than any other gov. It's the mayors and city councils who need to, and this was capitalized, step it up. Wow. There was one person on Twitter defending Governor Dippity Doo when it comes to the homeless. Cher responded to that. Okay, let them all sleep in the street. Sidewalk covered by tiny blanket. And that's what these two guys have, like a little blanket over their bodies as they sleep on the sidewalk. Uh, Cher, you're right. Dippity Doo isn't doing anything about the homeless problem. And actually, the woman that responded is right, too. The mayors and the city council aren't either. Because, as we've mentioned on this show, oh, probably thousands of times, it's not a housing issue. Okay? It's a drug addiction, mental illness, lazy issue. Irresponsible issue. I like to add those two because they're often forgotten. Because even someone who's mentally ill and drug or alcohol addicted has their moments or their days of lucidity, but they just don't take responsibility for their lives. And the response is always, but who'd want to live like that? Well, that's the life they chose. They want to make a difference in their own lives. They have to step up and get the help that they need. But in the meantime, all of the politicians have to take a tougher approach to this. 
if you, I'm going to talk about the Portland homeless story. I've been holding on to it. I didn't get to it today. I'll probably get to it tomorrow, but Portland's another ridiculously progressive place. You remember all of the activists and the anarchists are in the streets back in 2020, almost burning the city down. Well, that's because the voters there let it happen. And some of them are really fed up with the homeless situation. There's apparently people living in RVs all over downtown Portland. That's the situation in California where we're not seeing any change to that. Uh, it's a tolerance and it's an idea that we just need to build the permanent housing for these people. Something that right now, even people who have a job and a responsible life can't find housing. That's a problem up and down the state. But we shouldn't let people who drift off into alcohol and drug problems like this control the situation and enable them by letting them just camp out on the sidewalks. They need to be told that you have to move on. You're not going to camp out in public places. And this is probably a sign you should get your act together. Not just Newsom, but the vagrants too. They have to be held accountable for some of this. They're given a pass by almost all the politicians and apparently even Cher gives them a pass. Now, speaking of dippity-doo, a couple of stories popped up. He is really trying very hard to be the president of the United States. As I've mentioned before, his reelection at California governor is a foregone conclusion. So he's setting his sights on Washington, D.C. He's put himself all over social media to speak about the issues, which is gun control, and now it's Roe v. Wade. We also understand that he's reserved $105,000 worth of cable TV ads in Florida. Nobody understands why, since that's thousands of miles away from where he actually faces re-election this year in California. But everyone believes he's doing it so he can get an early start and position himself in Florida politics. I guess. I don't know. This guy and his advisors, I mean, this is the idiot that went to the French Laundry during the lockdown and had wine and dinner with his buddies, ignoring his own orders for people to stay home and stay out of restaurants at the height of the pandemic in late 2020. So I have no idea who's advising him and who's calling the shots, but he believes that there's probably some people in Florida who don't like the politics of that governor, Ron DeSantis, who's expected to be uh, a prime contender in 2024. So since Newsom's got nothing else to do, like we have no problems in this state, even Cher will tell you, we have problems in this state with the homeless. Uh, he's spending his time venturing onto the national scene. And this weird idea that he's going to run ads in Florida to raise his profile, nobody knows what they're about yet. But he's not only been complaining about Florida's lockdown rules, He's been complaining about their laws concerning LGBT issues. So, and the whole Disney thing, that's possibly what he's going to do. Who knows? But he doesn't have to spend money on being reelected here in California. What else to do with this money? He's decided to, and of course, in an interview, he's done a few interviews. He says he has sub-zero interest in being president. Well, really? You're not acting like it. Again, it's not what people say. It's what people do. And he's been all over the national scene. He apparently wants to make California a sanctuary state for abortion. That's his other big idea. 
This, of course, would include uh, inviting people to come here to have an abortion. Isn't that a nice tourist campaign? All right. You want to abort your next fetus? Come to California. We will welcome you. And I imagine that that could include paying for the health care. Who knows? Maybe even paying for the travel. I have no idea how carried away he's going to get with this. All right. More coming up on the John and Ken show here on KFI AM 640. Today, one of the big stories, of course, was this surprise January 6th testimony by a woman who used to be an assistant to Trump's chief of staff. And of course, it's a big story making headlines that she's heard from someone else. It's like a secondhand story that Trump lunged at his limo driver. They call it the beast because he wanted to get to the Capitol and join the mob. And they said, no, you're going to the West Wing. And he got worked up and he lunged at the driver and then apparently grabbed the shoulder of one of the Secret Service guys. Anyway, from the category of, ooh, what does that mean? The guy that was the sergeant at arms in the U.S. Senate on the day this happened, January 6, 2021, Michael Stanger died suddenly on Monday. He, of course, resigned the position not long after the insurrection. He was sergeant at arms responsible for ensuring security around the Capitol and enforcing the Senate's rules for three years. But he quit the day after January 6th because of the Capitol security couldn't keep the mob out of the building. Uh, so people are like, what does that mean? Huh? Now we take you to Germany for the final story on the show. Boy, when this happens, it's hard to believe. We now have the oldest person ever that's been found to be guilty as a former Nazi concentration camp guard. He is 101 years old. Germany has laws concerning privacy in its criminal justice system. So he's being named as Joseph Schutz. Schutz. In court documents, he's just being referred to as Josef S. Uh, Germany changed their rules when it comes to trying these Nazi war criminals this happened years ago with the uh, Demjanjuk case, which people may remember. That guy was 91 back in uh, 2011. He was accused of being an accessory to 28,000 murders, and I believe he was uh, taken from the United States to Germany to stand trial. What they used to do was you had to actually prove that the person that you're trying for war crimes was directly involved in concentration camp activities now, they just make it so that you just have to prove that there's a really good chance that they were at the camp doing something. They believe that he was a guard at the prison camp. This is called Sachsenhausen from 1942 to 1945. So he was convicted of being an accessory to the murder of thousands of Jews and other political prisoners at that camp uh he got five years in prison but also under german law you don't actually serve five years so he probably won't serve any prison time at all and during the trial he kept saying things like i don't know why i'm here i don't understand he claimed he was some sort of a farmer during the time in question 
but they believe they came up with enough evidence to place him as a worker at the prison camp. So 101. And I, they said they're racing against time because these people are dying. I mean, we're talking about the 1940s. If they were already in their 20s or 30s at the time they worked at these prison camps, just think how old they'd be. All right, uh, Tim Conway has hey, entered no. the room. Hey, you know, when, when I was 13, I used to go to uh, Cleveland, Ohio to visit my grandparents every summer. And I and I was I was young. I was maybe, I don't know, 12 or 13. When my best friend in Ohio, Chip Leach, his dad was the lead attorney in that demonia, uh, that guy, the uh, Nazi. Yeah, in, in, yeah it's um, pronounced Demonyuk. Demonyuk, yeah. I'm like, because wow. I think he was like of Polish origin, so John jumped on that one. Uh, but, that name, Demyanyuk. Yeah, but man, was that family ostracized after he, after he was just the, you know legal representation for that guy. I know, and man, that guy uh, couldn't buy a. You know, he a, hid for a long time. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, but even the lawyer got a lot of crap just for uh, defending him. Uh, bad violence. Oh, is that right? Um, uh, Miss Maxwell, Gaylene Maxwell, was sentenced yeah. to uh, 20 years in prison for a role in sex trafficking, but no names have come out. Right, everyone kept the names uh, oh, quiet. Yeah, and uh, I'm about who took yes, part in that? Yeah, exactly. Now it's not. It's both Democrats and Republicans. Man, nobody wants that book released. <laughs> uh, Airbnb is banning parties, so no more parties. Ken, you can't. Uh, you and your buddies can't go out and rent a, a house and party what about up. About that? Yeah, it sucks. And then they're uh, banning all parties at rentals. That's right. Yeah, you cannot do that. No more parties at rentals. It's still going to go on, but you know. They're, uh, they're exactly. trying to uh, dissuade people from doing that. Uh, dream vacation for Dolly Parton fans. Stay in her tour bus for $10,000. Wow. Does she really want the riffraff in her tour? Well, 10000 is a lot, though. Yeah. yeah you Can you to... bring over like 20 people? <laughs> you got to have a couple bucks to slide in there. Yeah. But can you imagine being that big a fan where you're going to spend $10,000 and uh, sleep in Dolly Parton's bus? I don't know. Yeah, seems a little weird. Yeah. And then Mark Thompson is here. Oh, hey, how are you guys? <laughs> He's just getting in, so we'll uh, we'll talk to Mark. <laughs> I thought that was you again. <laughs> I really did. I can't tell anymore. Is it Mark or is it uh, uh, Tim me, Conway? They, they don't turn this mic on. God damn it, man! Uh, Mark, Mark, <laughs> please. God, first of all, <laughs> stop swearing like that. I mean, please, we'll get that mic on for you. <laughs> all right, dig dog. To all three of you. Uh, KFI and KOST HD2 Los Angeles, Orange County, live everywhere in the iHeartRadio app. Uh, Michael Crozier has the news now. All right. It's never been more important to diversify your financial portfolio. Well, that's right. The S&P is down 20% from the last year, and this year looks even worse. Gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and stock market volatility. And Legacy Precious Metals is the company Ken and I trust. Protect your retirement account by rolling it into a gold-backed IRA or have metals shipped directly to your door. Call our friends at Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or visit buylegacygold.com. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l e e s a dot com slash iHeart.